Everybody okay? Coming off the tail end of spring break week, 8.30 service. Just a way to get your week started right. Isn't that right? Thankful to the Lord for allowing us the privilege of being here. I ask you to turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to continue there. Acts chapter 11. It just seems like yesterday we were waiting and kind of getting things ready for Christmas. And now within the next week or so is Easter. Y'all see how it works. My parents always told me time flies and now I'm realizing it. And so we want to just remind you of all the things. Hopefully you got those cards to pass out and invite. It has dates and times for our events coming up over the next few weeks. Um, and so we're excited about all the things going on from commissioning some who are being sent by us this morning. Um, we'll have our church conference immediately after this, the last Sunday of March. We'll have our church conference immediately after this service. And so we'll be welcoming in some new members. Just a lot of things happening in life of the church. And so I want to uh, look to the scriptures today. And we're going to continue, as I said, here in the book of Acts. Looking as we uh, continue in a very important passage. Really one of those uh, just shifting passages in Scripture that changes everything. We talked about it last week of how Peter uh, and Cornelius met up through the actions of God himself, appearing to Cornelius, a Gentile, appearing to Peter, bringing them together, and the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles even, and they were baptized and welcomed into the family. And so this, as I say, is a major shift in the scriptures. This is a major change that is taking place. And anytime major changes or events happen, news spreads quickly. Even in these days, before social media or what have you, you can imagine all the little ladies of Israel talking about what they heard of, that happened in Caesarea with Peter and Cornelius, and it tells us in our passage, Acts chapter 11, that the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word. So all throughout Judea, the word is being spread. The news is sending a ripple effect. Uh, great waves are being made now because of the gospel going to the Gentiles. And because of this, Peter is going to have to answer to what happened. He's going to have to give an explanation of what went on here with the house or in the house of Cornelius. And, and like many of you, you've probably been in a situation in your life when you've got to explain some things, right? And there's no better time to explain some things than when you're right. Amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I've tried to explain some things when I was dead wrong before. That's hard to do. But now Peter is brought here and having this news been spread, Peter is going to have to explain what happened. And that's what we find as he comes back to Jerusalem, uh, the apostles, the leaders, the church there starts asking questions. In fact, it tells us that they were going to criticize, criticize Peter. And so let's look together in Acts chapter 11, starting there in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 18 this morning. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. 
But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing, un nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived in the, at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, "'Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter.'" He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved and you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gifts to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And what a testimony this word is, as it relates to us how the gospel continues to advance, breaking down every barrier in its way, including the great wall of division as your word puts it, between the Jews and the Gentiles. We today stand here as a people thankful for your grace in our lives, thankful that you did not pass us by or forget us, but in your grace and sovereignty, Father, you have made a way for even us in this place, in this room, to believe and trust in you. And so, God, we come today as a people who are most thankful. And as we look to this passage, may the thanksgiving in our heart continue, continue to swell and to grow into a life that is lived for the glory of the one who saved us. Father, we come asking all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to get straight to the point, Luke tells us in this passage that the criticism he received will come from the circumcision party. Now, it's not the easiest thing to do in the world to be a Gentile here with pretty much a room full of Gentiles and try to explain a, a Jewish understanding of what's going on. But that's the very thing we need to try to understand when we come to this passage. We need to understand what the problem was, what the situation is. And so then we can see how God tore those things down for us. And just like we did when it came to the Ethiopian eunuch, I didn't explain that day what a eunuch was. I left that up to you parents out there. Same thing today. When it comes to circumcision, y'all can handle that. We're just going to understand that everybody's there. 
presumably all of the believers here in Jerusalem at this time were converted Jews. They had come from the faith of Judaism and converted to this Christianity, trusting, when I say converted, trusting and believing as Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the one who was sent for them. So this matter, though, of circumcision was a very much a part of their life because circumcision was central to how these first century believers, how these first century believers would have understood the covenant, the promises of God. It was central to how they would understood salvation. It was central to how they understood the relationship between Jews who were circumcised and Gentiles who were uncircumcised. This is the, the central breakdown. So much is this central that that's just simply how they referred to it. Those who were of the circumcision, those who were not, who were uncircumcised. That was the, the dividing wall of all humanity for the Jews. And as they came to faith in Christ, that still stood there. That still stood there. And this goes back to Genesis chapter 17. It's not unfounded. I do not believe they were acting in some egregious way so as to keep someone out. I think they were trying to be faithful to what they understood it meant to be a follower of God. It goes back to Genesis 17. God made promises to Abraham. He did this on two occasions. We talked last time about Genesis chapter 12 when he made the three promises there to Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless you. And the nation shall be blessed through you. In Genesis chapter 17, he, he again gives another promise to Abraham that even clarifies what he means and how he is going to bring the, the nations to, to, to salvation through the people that will come from Abraham's line. And he seals that promise with the sign of circumcision. It's more than just a physical sign then. It is by all means physical but it's more than just a physical sign. It's a moral one then in the Old Testament. In other words, this is what separates God's people against those who are not God's people. This is why uh, you understood earlier, like last time, how those who were Jews who were circumcised were not to eat certain animals for they were unclean because that's what the Gentiles do. They were to be separate, marked off as the people of God, different from the world. So this was not only a physical sign, but a moral sign. It testified to how they are to live. It was all about doctrinal purity, what we believe, who God is, and what he's called us to do. It was all about moral faithfulness for the Jews. They were to be circumcised. Even as you see the testimony, as, as Paul brags about it himself later when he said that he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, exactly like he was said he was to be. It was a sign that testified to their doctrinal faithfulness of who God is and what he's promised and their moral faithfulness that they would follow him. This act of circumcision was a hard line that was drawn between the Jews and the Gentiles, and you cannot cross it, the scriptures taught them. You cannot go across it. So no wonder, no wonder they had such a great problem, and they wanted to criticize Peter when they found out what Peter had done. Peter had crossed the line. He had done something that they thought he shouldn't do. He had done something that they thought was not allowed even. He had crossed the line. Their views were ultimately here broken by Peter when he does this. 
And, and, and understand, there's two complaints against Peter. One, he ate with Gentiles. He welcomed them into the home. But two, he baptized them and welcomed them into the family. And so ultimately they're going, what are, what are you thinking? Peter had crossed the line. But what we find out is that their views of the circumcision party were not simply governed by Scripture themselves as much as they were by their traditions. When you read the Old Testament, you can start to see that. It's more traditions and doctrines of, of, of men that, that circumcise. In other words, they put more weight on the act of physical circumcision than God himself would. I can, I can show you a few passages. If you, if you can, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Again, we need to understand all of this, so you're going to flip through a few pages, and let me remind you of that uh, the, that really important tactic of keeping your finger in one place and holding it there so you go to the other. Deuteronomy, this is, when, this is when Moses is leading the people through the promised land and they're getting ready to enter. And what does Moses say? He says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 15, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are to this day. You are chosen by God as he, his people. And since you're chosen by God as his people, verse 16, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Moses is saying this Outward physical circumcision has to testify to something that's deeper. In other words, that outward physical circumcision is not enough. You are God's people. Therefore, circumcise your heart, he says. Circumcise your heart. He does the same thing over in chapter 30, Deuteronomy chapter 30. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. By the way, that verse 5 there is a fulfillment of two of those first promises to Abraham. I'm going to make you great and I'm going to give you a land. He says the Lord will do this. He's going to give you a land and he's going to make you prosperous. He's going to make you great. And verse 6 and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Here, what we see even in the Old Testament, the physical circumcision was not what was most important. It was the circumcision of the heart of the people of God. It was their, and so in other words, as you get to Peter's time, what had happened was they had made that physical act of circumcision, elevated it higher than it should be, and it wasn't so much concerned about people's hearts. They were more concerned about that physical act itself. And so Peter is pulling this down, and he's seeing that this is, this is more about the traditions of men uh, and, and the doctrines of men rather than what the Scripture teaches. Paul would say in Romans Chapter 2, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. It's not the law that you're trying to follow here. It's the heart. It's the Spirit of God that changes your heart. And so we, what, what marks you off as a member of God's family, as, as Paul would put it, a Jew, what marks you off as a member of God's people is circumcision of the heart, not physical circumcision at all. 
And this is what's having to be broken down here in Acts chapter 11. If you read on this great passage in Galatians chapter 6, Paul, as he's closing out this passage, says in verse 14, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It's the matter of the heart, Paul says. It's the matter of the heart. This gets to the very meaning of what it is to be a Christian. A Christian is one who has heard the message of Jesus Christ. They have heard the good news of his life, his perfect life, his death, and how on the cross he paid the penalty for their sin, conquering that, putting Death to death there on the cross. And then through his resurrection, he secured the promise of eternal life for them. One who is a Christian has heard the the good news that Jesus came, suffered, died, and rose again. And then they respond in belief to that good news. And what I mean by that is they repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a child of God. Hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, his person and his work, and repenting and turning from your sins and placing your faith in him. And the scripture says, when that happens, the spirit comes in, changes their heart, as Jeremiah said, takes a heart of flesh, a heart of stone, and replaces it with a heart of flesh. And that work is called the work of circumcision of the heart. If you're a child of God, then you have been circumcised of the heart by the work of the spirit. Not the circumcision made by hands, but the circumcision of the Spirit of God that has has made us his own. What marks us off as the people of God is not outward physical circumcision, but a new heart that has been made new before him. That's what makes us new. All of this passage is getting them there. It takes work for them to get from where they think outward circumcision is what matters to the heart is what matters. And all of this passage is getting them here. Peter seems to be saying, now I know this is a big leap for you guys, but Peter seems to be saying to his fellow believers in Jerusalem that he once had the same view as they did. He once believed that physical circumcision was all that really mattered, and it took an act of divine power to disengage him from that. It took an act of God to change his mind. And that's what happened. God worked. And what Peter had seen over the last few days and what happened in the house of Cornelius made him say, who am I that I can stand in God's way? Who am I that I can stand in God's way, Peter says. For Peter, it was either cross the line of tradition, cross the line of the doctrine of men, or get run over by the advancing gospel of the Lord God Almighty. It was either change his view according to God's standards and to God's word, or get run over by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter says, I'm not going to get run over by it. I'm going to grab on and enjoy the ride here, fellas. Let me tell you what happened. 
really when we get to this, Peter's going to lay out his story. And what I want to think we can see are four things that become clear to Peter that showed him that the gospel must go to the Gentiles and, and why we must take the gospel to everyone without bias or prejudice in our life. Peter facing criticisms. Verse 4 tells us, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. First, Peter says, we have God's clear revelation in our life. We have God's clear revelation in our life. You see this in verses 4 through 10. Peter began, I was in the city of Joppa praying. He starts telling the story. I was there, I was praying. You remember what got him to Joppa as he was called to go to Joppa there to raise that one that was, that was dead to life. And so Peter was praying as he's in Joppa, staying at the tanner's house. And as he was praying, he tells them that there was this, this vision that God came to him. He, he went into a trance. God came to him in a vision. And in that vision, he tells them what happens. And it's this sheet that comes down, this, this holy heavenly picnic. Y'all remember? And it comes down where in the moment, just to remind you, in that one single vision, God said bacon was okay. Y'all remember we talked about that last week? I'm just trying to jog y'all's memory. And so in this, he reminds the sheep, he speaks of the animals that were there. He looks at all of them. And Peter says, when that sheep came down and he looked intently into it, he tells them, he looked closely at it. The Lord spoke. And when the Lord spoke, he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And of course, Peter being the, the good Jew that he is, doesn't want to cross that line. He would be crossing a line here over to what's unclean. So he balks at this little moment because Peter's got some guts. And Peter says, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. I want to go ahead and tell y'all that's probably a lie. Okay, y'all know what I'm saying? But Peter believes that this is something he can't cross. And he doesn't want the Lord to think in any way. Maybe it was a test. Maybe it was something to offer. Peter said, nothing is going this way. And the Lord comes at him again. And the Lord says, what God has made clean, do not call common. Rebuking Peter in his, in his, uh, his, his hold up here, the Lord says, this is my call, Peter. This is not yours. I'm the one who established it way back when, the rules that you think you've been following. I'm the one that's telling you now, Peter, I'm the one who makes things clean. I'm the one who makes things right. Three times Peter says this happened to him. In other words, the Lord spoke to him six times, each time, twice in each one. Three times this has happened. This is not a new idea, by the way. Y'all notice a little bit later whenever the spirit falls and, and Peter was reminded of what Jesus said, you know, John baptized with water, will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Maybe even here, Peter should be reminded of what Jesus said back, back in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 7, because Jesus had already declared the foods to be clean there in Mark 7. In fact, there's a little, there's a little uh, parenthetical statement here whenever he says in verse 18, he said to them, then you are also without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Then the little uh, parenthetical note there in verse 20, uh, excuse me, verse 19. Thus he declared all foods clean. 
In other words, in this moment, Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of the man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery. And he goes on and on saying, you think what defiles you is what you eat? What defiles you comes out of your heart. In other words, Jesus is saying even there that what you need is not a new diet, but a new heart. What you need is not just the food you eat to be right. What you need is your heart to be right before God. And so here even Peter is saying, maybe he's putting all this together going, I remember Jesus even says this. I remember Jesus even says this. And he goes further. Clean and unclean animals then, as he's understanding all of these things, are taken here to be clean and unclean or circumcised and uncircumcised people. The Lord is saying, it's not just about the animals on that cloth right now, Peter. It's about the people that are before you in your life. And you've been calling them unclean, and now I'm telling you, go to them. Reach them. One commentator helps to put the entire revelation that God gives him here together when he says, the sheet is the church which will contain all classes without distinction at all. The sheet that comes down testifies to how the church itself will be one that contains all classes of people without any distinction at all. In other words, we have a great revelation here. Peter gets the sheet down from heaven. We, as the church of Jesus Christ today, have even a greater revelation. We've got Revelation chapter 7. We discussed this last week. We've got a picture of the end itself, having, having settled all things, and John looks into heaven, and there the Father says, all are present that are mine. And when he looks around the throne, it's every tribe, it's every tongue, it's every nation, it's every people. In other words, those who will be around the throne, if we use that simple practice of, of leadership that we begin with the end in mind, y'all know, so we look at the end and we see what God has done. He has brought all nations before him around the throne. We have even a greater revelation to say we have no reason whatsoever to have any prejudice or bias against anyone because we will be around the throne and they are all a part of our family. They're there. And so here, the thing that Peter sees is God gives him a revelation to say, Brother, you keep keeping this gospel from these people. This gospel is going to run you over because these people are mine. These people are mine. Not only that, we have God's revelation. We also have God's clear command. Peter very clearly says that the Spirit told him, if you look at verse 11, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them. Understand again, Peter is answering his critics. These people are bringing up some things that he's done wrong, and so Peter wants to say, y'all's problem is not with me. If you've got a problem with what happened, your problem is not with me, your problem is with God. Because the Spirit himself said, go with these people. I had a clear command, Peter says, to go with them. You said I shouldn't eat with them. You said I shouldn't eat in the house with them. Well, the Spirit of God said, go with them. The Spirit of God said, go with them. 
these two charges. Peter went into a Gentile house and then how he acted when they believed. Peter clearly wants them to know that God has the, is the one who has orchestrated and told him to do all of these things. In fact, Peter says, look, these six brothers, it's almost as if Peter's looking and saying, see, my, my, my friend's here. Peter knew as he stepped into this arena to face these criticisms, he didn't need to go alone. God's testimony's enough. But Peter says, I've got six that were here with me. They went with me. Peter, knowing good and well that while the Jewish tradition is two witnesses would be enough to convict, but, but the Roman tradition offers seven, right? Or the Egyptian tradition offers seven. Peter's saying, there is be, I, everything I'm telling y'all is true. I've got these witnesses here that can testify that God told me to go to the Gentiles. Peter realized at this point that the Great Commission itself, when God said, go and make disciples of all nations, meant that he must cross racial lines themselves. He must break down the barriers that are before him. If he's going to be faithful to the Great Commission, he's got a command to go. You are my witnesses, the Lord said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, sure. But then the uttermost parts of the earth. The command to go and proclaim the name of Christ is one that tells us that we go to anybody and to everybody. In fact, the nations are at the heart of the Great Commission. Peter's command here only points to that greater command of the Great Commission that we all have as Christ's church. In other words, the Great Commission is not qualified before God. Go to everybody that you like. That's easy because that's not many people. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Go to all nations, he says. There's no qualification in this. There's no separation in this. It's everybody needs to hear the good news of Christ. I'm reminded of the parable of the sower. Y'all remember the parable of the sower? Sometimes people call it the parable of the soils, right? And so I got to say that slowly with my southern accent. It's the parable of the soils. And so we, we, we're reminded of that. And you got the sower and he's taking the seed. And y'all remember some of the seed falls on good ground. Y'all remember that? Some of the seed falls on hard ground, the path. Some falls in the rocks. Some goes into the thorns and the bushes. Y'all remember that parable? Has everybody got that? I'm not going to make you turn there. But if you remember that parable, I'm thinking, I remember planting gardens with my grandfather. And if I didn't get every seed in the little hole it was supposed to go in, I heard about it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You poke your finger in and then you drop three in each hole. Don't spread them out everywhere else. But here in this parable, Jesus told, he's got seeds on the path. He's got seeds in the rocks. He's got seeds in the thorns. What is that telling us? It's telling us that you throw the seed of the good news of Jesus Christ anywhere and everywhere. Let me say you throw it out indiscriminately. You throw it out, dare I use this word up in this pulpit, you throw it out liberally. <laughs> it goes everywhere. Because you're not determining where it lands. The Lord will determine that soil, right? And so it is here for Peter. You don't determine where you throw that seed. You throw it everywhere to everybody, anytime, indiscriminately, all the time. You throw it. It goes there. 
We have a clear command. We also have God's preparation. Don't think that you're in the business of saving souls by yourself. God goes before us. And here in this passage, 13 and 14, that's what Peter said. This is told from Peter's perspective. If you go back and you, you read the, the story, we, we get Cornelius first. But here, Peter tells it. Peter said, when I got there and got to Caesarea, I find out from Cornelius and his people that the Lord had already come to him and said, there's a dude named Peter. He's going to come tell you everything you need to know about Jesus. This guy's coming for you. In other words, the way had already been prepared as, as, as uh, Peter is going to Cornelius. God had already made a way. Clearly from Peter's perspective here, he wants to see, he wants to see how God has moved him, but God has already been preparing Cornelius. God has been working on both ends of this story. And so it is. Rarely when we share the gospel of Christ do we go into a place when people would receive it that the soil has not already been prepared for us. Sometimes we truly do throw that seed on that hard place in those hard and we get, but when we see the gospel fruit come from repentance and faith, surely you don't think you're the first time that person may have ever heard or God had ever done something. God has already been preparing the heart. In other words, we're in this business with the Lord himself. They sow, they heard. Don't think either that this is just chance or happenstance. But in the same sense, as God is working things out, Cornelius saw and heard the vision. He interpreted its significance. He sent for Peter. Peter saw and heard the vision, interpreted its significance. He chose to go and to obey. We see how God works together with all of us as to bring salvation in the hearts and lives of people. At the end, though, as Paul says, I boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. God is behind it all, no doubt. So it was for every single one of us who believe, right? Our testimonies are not just hearing the gospel and believing out of nowhere, but how God churned and worked our hearts, how he prepared our, our lives, how he, he helped us to, to hear it and to receive it, and he's worked on us and worked on us. God goes before to make the ground fertile. We also have God's power on display in this passage or his action Verses 15 and 17, as I began to speak. In other words, as the word is preached, the Holy Spirit falls. Understand that the word and the spirit work together as always, right? When the word is preached, the spirit is present, taking that word and applying it to our hearts and to our lives. And so here he says, you see the action of God. Peter preaches the word. The spirit begins to fall. And Peter tells them in his testimony, this was just as it was in the beginning of us. It's the same as Acts chapter 2. Peter may have thought, I'll never experience anything like that day back in Acts 2. And here he is again saying it was the same thing. The spirit fell in the same way. God did not give them half the spirit. God did not make this just a little subtlety when he came. God came the same way he came to us. He came the same way. These Gentiles, Peter is making an ultimate point. When they said, why did you act this way toward me? The Gentiles could always be God-fearers, but they could never be welcomed into the worship, into the fellowship. You should have done that, Peter. You should have just told them what it meant to be God-fearers, but not make them a part of the family. Peter said, how could I not do it? The Lord came to him the same way he came to us. 
They're part of our family. He came to them the same way. Jesus said, John baptized with water. We'll baptize with the Spirit. And there it was on display. The Lord gave the Gentiles the same gift as he had given all of us Jews. The gift of his Spirit. New life in him. John Stott calls these things the the four hammer blows against the wall of separation. God's revelation, God's command, God's preparation, and God's action. Peter is saying, what did it take for me to cross that line over to reach the Gentiles? It took God's clear word there for me to go. It took God's clear command there for me to go. It took God, it took God to, to make the way and prepare it for me to go. And it took God's action for this to take place. All of these, he says, were like hammer blows tearing down that wall of separation. And what I'm saying is this today is we, even more so than Peter that day, you think, well, he saw a vision. Well, we've got the word in our hands and even more so than Peter that day, we have a clear revelation from God. We've got a clear command from him. We know that God is working to bring his people to himself. And we see his action on display to all peoples. And this room itself is a testimony that God not only loves the Jews, but he loves us Gentiles too. It's a testimony to that. How much more so should we say when we were once the ones who were excluded, when we were once the ones who were outside, how desperately should we fight for those who were excluded themselves? Now, in our culture, in our place, in our life, we were once outside, but we've been brought near. Why would we leave anybody else out there? The only conclusion here is that the Lord is welcoming the Gentiles into the family, Peter says. And that ultimate conclusion for us is that all people, anywhere who call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. So why would we not tell them about it? You've got to really despise someone not to tell them that there is an eternal heaven that can be theirs through a glorious Savior Christ who died for them. Two things to note and I'll quit. One, nothing is more powerful than a testimony of God working in the heart and life of his people. Peter said, let me tell you why this happened. And he bore testimony of how God is working. That testimony is in line with his word. Our testimonies do not trump the word of God. They only bring light even more so to it. They only bring the story to life of God's word. They work together. And when we have a testimony, oftentimes what's true is you can bring whatever argument you want to bring. But for me, I know what happened in my life. I know what I've seen God do. And it verified in his word. So you can't argue with what God is doing and has done. It's like the blind man in John chapter 9. I don't know about all your rules and regulations. What I do know is I once was blind and now I see. So it is for us. What we do know is God is working in our hearts and in the lives of people. And his gospel is not stopped or thwarted in any way according to any distinction that we set up in our own minds. So don't just diminish your testimony. Speak it. Tell of what God is doing in your life. In fact, I love that line because when Peter gets finished with his testimony, verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. There's no argument against God's work and what he's doing. No argument against it. Second, 
just simply, our church must strive to look more and more like heaven every single day. Our heart and desire should not be that we settle in amongst a certain group of people or a certain type of people and think that's all we can reach. Our heart and desire should be to do whatever it is to make this place look a lot like heaven. Just as Jesus told us to pray, Father, in heaven as it is on earth, let that be your will. And what that means for many of us is it begins in our hearts in the hearts of each and every one of us. And if there is any bias or prejudice in your life so as to make you not want to share the gospel with anybody in our culture and society, I pray to the good Lord that he will take the hammer of his word against your cold heart, break it down so that you too will see that the nations are welcomed at the feet of our Savior. And so who are we to stop them From hearing of that good news, may God break our own hearts to love people who look different than us, who love people who think differently than us, to love people who live in a different style than we live. I'm thankful for what we have in our church, for in our church we see this testimony. We see some who have a lot, we see some who have a little We see some who were from the north of the Mason-Dixon line and some who from the south. That's one of those hard walls to break down, amen? We see different attitudes and we see different hearts. We see different people coming from different diverse backgrounds. We see all of that, but may we see it more so that we as a church can say, as long as it depends on us, as long as it depends on us, Our congregation, our people will reflect the wide open heart of our Savior to welcome anybody and everybody. May that be our passion here as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. And God, we know today, we know today that your good news is for anybody who would call on your name. And so, God, may that gospel not be hindered or thwarted here. May it be proclaimed loudly and boldly from every classroom, from the pulpit every week, from every event we do. May we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ for all peoples so that, God, by your grace, by your grace on earth as it is in heaven, in our church as it is in heaven. If you're here today and The Lord has been working on your heart, calling you to repentance and faith. Pastor Stephen, Pastor Nathan will be standing in the back ready to receive you, to join our church and be a part as we seek to move toward reaching the nations with the gospel, welcoming all in. Be a part of that. We'd love to receive you and welcome you in. I'm thankful that God has given us this opportunity to sing together in response. Let's stand together and sing.